and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 158. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And today we're going to be reacting to an article in The New Yorker entitled, In the Future, We Will Photograph Everything and Look at Nothing. And this was written by Am Malik on April 4th of 2016. And the article describes our increasing relationship to photography as a technological medium and a storytelling medium. One of the main premises in Malik's article is the idea that humans have roughly 2 billion smartphones by a conservative estimate. And if each of those humans takes two photos and uploads it every day, and that's another conservative estimate, then he posits what's going on with the rest of the photos and data that is just sitting on our devices. Because in this day and age, it seems more and more that we take photos not to look at them, but to take them, select the ones that we find the most valuable or appealing in some way. Not even he hypothesizes that will stay in our memories and serve as a way for us to reminisce or remember things we otherwise wouldn't, but function now in exchange with other people. And what originally caught my eye in this article, if you'll pardon the pun, is Malik's description that photographic technology is becoming increasingly available to more and more people on the planet. More events are being photographed, more photographs are being shared, people are increasingly communicating with photographic imagery, which is nothing new for humanity, but I think the prevalence of the photograph as a cultural and digital language with which we express ourselves is having an impact on how we as people communicate. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, it's good that people are becoming more photographically literate, but I agree with Malik that there is something to be said about the photographs we don't share with others and what we choose to post online, how that reflects upon us. And in the example of someone who hasn't met you scrolling through your Instagram or Facebook profile or any account on which you might upload photographs, their impression of you based on those images is going to be different than your reality, even if you uploaded every photograph of your day, because not everyone reads a photograph in the same way. And I would argue that different cultures and different individuals might look for different symbols or signs of emotion or significance in a photograph. And so as we have an increasing dependence on photography, I do think we categorize ourselves in certain ways and other people perform categorization as well, which is very interesting as we post more and more of our lives on social media and on the internet. But out of curiosity, how would you describe your relationship to the photographic realm of the internet? I was thinking about that myself before we recorded this episode because my preferred form of social media, I think now, is Instagram. And it's not that I have anything against Facebook, but I think I've grown tired of how it really does feel like a projection of what you want your life to be rather than what it actually is or what's actually going on in your life. That's just how I see it. Other people use it to express their opinions. I just am not nearly as comfortable being that active on Facebook to make statuses and interact with people in that public of a way. I definitely use it for its messaging capabilities. And also every six months or so, I will upload photos. And even then, I'm starting to back away from that. May I ask what phenomenon or phenomena are encouraging you to pull away gradually from Facebook? And if it relates to what you think it can or cannot capture, because something about Instagram is surely attracting your attention. And I'd be curious to know if Perhaps that's related to its photographic emphasis. 
it's weird because I hate admitting this, but I think I'm totally buying into the millennial pressures that come with social media in a way. Like I personally don't like uploading photos all the time, which means that if I do upload photos to Facebook, then I'm uploading them in mass. I guess for me, social media does have a sharing component to it. So I think subconsciously I'm thinking to myself, not that many people are going to look through all my photos if I put them out in that mask kind of quantity. A byproduct of that is then my photos won't get that many likes. And then you start thinking about the value of certain photographs. And I hate admitting that, but I think it's there. I think everyone, before they make a post or before they upload a photo, they ask themselves, is this going to be worthwhile to the community that I'm sharing it with? I mean, there's a reason why someone doesn't share a photo that is meaningful to them more than once, because that would be silly, right? If they're sharing it with people and they're only going to care about it one time, it becomes something that's not about you anymore, especially with uploading photos in mass quantities. By that, I mean Facebook. The difference for me with Instagram, for some reason, even though I think it is more driven towards how many likes you get and how much exposure your photo gets, is that for me, it's like, here's the moment in my day or in the past few days that was special to me. And I want to showcase this moment. And yes, there is selectivity in that. Like, I'm not usually going to pick a photo that is in really poor lighting or a photo that I think is simply unattractive. If it's unattractive, it's usually something silly or funny. But usually it's something that I find aesthetically pleasing. And in that, I usually try not to upload more than one photo a day. But for example, there are some days when I do upload two photos and it's kind of a weird decision process that I have to make because I'm like, oh, I've already put this one photo out, but this photo is also really meaningful to me. And I sort of justify it by being like, this isn't about your follower base. This is about having memories for you. And for me, there was kind of a shift where for a while... At the beginning of the last semester of college, I was like, I'm here, I'm at Kenyon, I don't need to demonstrate what I'm doing to people on Instagram because I'm with them all the time and that's redundant, right? And then I kind of had a turning point where I was like, but I want to document my last few months here and I want to have that day-to-day diary that Instagram offers in some ways of things I'm doing that I may not remember immediately down the road. It is questionable in the future whether I will go back and look at those pictures on a day-to-day or weekly or monthly basis. But for me, there's definitely a component to it that's I want to put out a photo that will get some number of likes, which is weird to say, and I don't like it, but that's, I think, how it is. But then also that will retain a moment for me that is special to me. I'm curious to know your opinion on it. Well, if you'll permit me, it's interesting when you ask about something being silly or redundant because arguably a lot of social media is in many ways silly and redundant. People have survived without it for centuries, which is not to say that what you are doing and honestly what I and many others like us are doing on social media is not meaningful. I think it takes on a different type of values because the technology and the way we use it is so novel. And I find it intriguing that you say you wouldn't post a picture that wasn't aesthetically pleasing or that was taken in bad light because I wonder to what extent that social medium or others have started to affect not just yours, but the way we all think about certain moments. Because to give a romantic example, many people probably kiss in bad photographic light. It may not be aesthetically pleasing, 
it might be hard to make out who is who, but it's still a romantic moment for those two people. And I don't suspect they're thinking, how would this look to a third party, to a potential photographer, except that I've noticed a number of couple photos that seem very staged, and they're obviously aware that someone is photographing them. And so I think our relationship to photography has changed how we see moments in a way. And that's not to say that you can't capture beautiful moments. Obviously, far be it for me to tell you what to do. And by you, I don't mean you, Caroline, but the audience, everyone who can hear this and who takes and shares photographs. But there have been certain moments that I've seen on social media of photographs that have virtually no meaning to the audience, so to speak, to your friends, to your followers and may have tremendous meaning to the individual. And in that case, I say, why post it? Why not save it somewhere where you can see it? Because for many of us, it is just another photograph. And it's great that you have that memory. But if we can't appreciate it, I do wonder if there is a value in sharing an almost coded photograph that only you have the key to. I guess the only thing I'd say to that is that I do have a lot of photos on Facebook that I know to be only significant to me. If they are significant to anyone else, it is for pure comedy because they are pictures of me from when I was 14. And in that way, I view Facebook as sort of like a time capsule in a way. A lot of people I know when they went to college deleted a lot of their old profile pictures from when they were younger to make a clean slate. And I pushed back against that. And I was like, this is cool to see how I've grown up. And I want to keep it that way, even though maybe it's a constructed version of me. At least you can still see kind of how I've aged and what I look like. And even those profile pictures have memories that I associate with them. So yes, I think now when I put pictures on Facebook, I'm thinking more about who I'm showing them to. But when I'm traveling and I'm taking pictures and putting them on Instagram, I usually also post them on Facebook so that mostly my family can see what I'm doing and friends as well, but mostly my family. I find it to be a concise way to show people what I'm up to. And it happens to be in a way that I find aesthetically pleasing. Perhaps that's constructed, but then a lot of the photos that I keep on Facebook are really for me. But I'm curious to know what you mean by meaningless photos. Do you have any examples? Well, to clarify, if I said the word meaningless, I only meant to certain audiences of people on Facebook. And I won't name names because I know a number of Facebook friends of mine will listen to this episode. But as a generalization, I would say more than 10 photographs of a puppy or a baby in a specific instance that have virtually no distinction from one another. And I say that because visually I can't detect how photograph number six differs from photograph number nine. But the photographer might have a very distinct memory and say, well, at this moment, albeit a very close one to the other, the puppy or the baby or whomever in the photograph was doing this and I was thinking this. And in the next moment, my thoughts changed. So I can understand why you would have that many. But admittedly, as a rather impatient viewer on social media, and I think a lot of us are, I think the system is set up to encourage impatience. I don't want to scroll through 10 photographs of your child. And I'm sure that sounds cold to some, but I also think it's a very contextual example. And your relationship to your baby, continuing with this example, is going to be different than mine because it's not my child. 
And honestly, it's so interesting that we've come to the conclusion that other people want to or need to see every update in our lives. There's a very funny situation I heard once described in a conversation where a friend pointed out how curious it is that we take photographs of our food because back in the day before digital photography, you wouldn't take a film photograph of your food, run down to get it developed, and then run back 45 minutes later with that image because it wasn't as easy. Which is not to say that our behavior currently is ridiculous in and of itself, but that values have shifted, that people are more comfortable tracking everything with photography, including people, but also including moments like certain meals that, in my rather old soul mentality, I don't always see the meaning to a viewer. And in those instances, I would say, I'm glad you took the photograph, but for my selfish interests in viewing social media, it somewhat clogs up my system, which I admit is a very self-centered view to take of all of this. But I think you said a key word at some point, which was context. Perhaps if you had a baby yourself, maybe you would more easily identify with that person who also had a baby and you'd be like, oh, we both have children and wow, they're both great and we want to share that with other people who are going through similar situations as we are. I agree. There's a lot of content that is put out there that is certainly catered to maybe a tiny audience. But what's interesting is there is a lot of content out there that is put out there, maybe catered to a minute audience, but for some reason that person thought it worthwhile to put on social media. And maybe people don't think about social media like I do, which is somewhat more analytical. But I also think that a lot of people do think about social media the way I do and are embarrassed to talk about it. I'm embarrassed talking about it now, but we do joke about it like for like, or did you see my status today? Go like it. Or I posted a photo just now, make sure you go like it. And it's a joke, but it's also not at the same time. And it's very strange. And I think people think about it this way more than they'd like to think they do. You've identified a very interesting phenomenon that I've also witnessed, especially to think back around a year ago when we were in college. I remember a very specific meal at which a friend had taken a photograph and was a little bit upset that it hadn't accumulated more likes in the recent five minutes. And I remember feeling very bad for this person, a friend of mine, someone I respect, who is a nice and capable person feeling so helpless because of happenstance, essentially. What if friends are not on Instagram when you are? What if people didn't think it was a great photograph? What if they felt it was repetitive and have their own reasons for not liking it? Does that make you doubt the value of the photograph to you? Because one thread that I feel you've mentioned in your description and that I think is present for a lot of other people is a degree of self-doubt because of social media. And I'm not saying I'm immune to it. I absolutely experience it. Although I upload notoriously few photographs of myself and often hide certain photographs that other friends have tagged me in because I'm a very self-conscious person about my appearance, frankly. But even there, we are trying to sculpt a certain reflection of ourself on social media that is not reflective. And all of the bad angles or poor lighting or moments where we were caught off guard, however unflattering, are reflective of who we are. And I worry to some extent people in general become captive to the system that demands aesthetically pleasing photographs or interesting nuanced photographs taken from interesting angles or funny photographs, etc. And at the risk of sounding cliche and rather reductive, I think it's a bit sad we should have more confidence in the value of moments to ourselves 
regardless of whether or not they are aesthetically pleasing. Because I've had a number of moments in my life that were not photogenic, so to speak, but I still cherish them because of what they meant to me. And another phenomenon that I would love your insight on is our relationship to storytelling because of photography. There's a rather infamous saying on the internet of pics or it didn't happen, which essentially boils down to the belief that if you do not have photographic evidence of a scenario, of an encounter, or even of a relationship you might have with someone, it is in some ways less valid. And on the more extreme spectrum, you can't prove that it happened because the spoken word or the written word is not as concrete in the minds of some people as a photograph might be. And we are very visual creatures. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. But I do wonder to what extent photography, especially digitally uploaded photography ad infinitum, has changed. And I'm not going to say damaged because I don't think it's necessarily worsening our ability, but how it has changed our storytelling ability. Do you think we've become overly dependent on photographs to help us tell stories to the extent that we cannot do so without them? Well, think about one of the newest phenomenons we have with our communication, emojis, and communicating through little pictures rather than stating, I'm happy, this makes me happy, I'll put a smiley face, or this photograph makes me feel love for you, so I'm going to put a kissy face. And in some ways, that's crippling the way we communicate with each other in a more direct way but enhancing it in another way, or that's at least what we're trying to do with emojis. And I think the purpose of them is to enhance dialogue and stories. Even if maybe I'm just sending someone like three turtles, it's still like, hello, I'm here. I want to see you or hi, here's a silly picture. And now I'm communicating with you. It has really fundamentally changed the way we describe our lives through photographs, through images, and it becomes all about doing. This is what I was doing on this date. This is what I did today. Here is a photo representing what I did. It doesn't really comment on the nuance that was happening there. I can think of a photograph of me and my friend that another friend took from the back and my arm is around her. We were having a conversation and I was rubbing her back while we were having a conversation and it was a sweet moment that was captured and I'm glad it was captured. But really what that photograph says is that me and my friend had a great day down by the river or we were down by the river that day. It doesn't really express, oh, I'm enjoying being a good friend to my friend or it doesn't tell the conversation or the story that was going on and taking place in that photograph. It just says what we were doing, which is a cool thing that we were doing. But had we been having that same conversation in the parking lot of Walmart, would it have been deemed Instagram worthy? Who knows? I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this. Well, I'm actually going to push back on your word choice a little bit because you said doing at various points throughout that description. And I don't entirely disagree with you, but I do think, especially in Malik's title of the article, in the future we will photograph everything and look at nothing, that I think this phenomenon describes more seeing than doing. It is about what was visible in a moment. And obviously, given photographic context, if you see two people engaged in various actions, you can conclude what they were doing. But I think to some extent, when someone puts something on Instagram, they're trying to demonstrate what they were doing in that moment. Maybe the image is of other people doing something, but they're there in that moment, if that makes sense. 
It absolutely does. I would only contend that we've come to a point where if a moment or a feeling, sensation, experience, etc. is not easily captured on visible media, we don't bother to try because the photograph would not make sense or would not have the proper context. And so I think as a result, we see more aesthetically pleasing lives, more aesthetically pleasing activities when that isn't reflective of everything. For example, we all do laundry, which may not look terribly glamorous, but it is a part of our lives. And I wonder if certain activities become less meaningful to us or we see them as less valuable because they are not aesthetically or photographically pleasing. And I've often experienced tremendous discomfort when I'm performing or simply interacting with friends in a curious, maybe comical manner, and someone pulls out their phone. Because in that moment, they have the power to photograph me, and I can't stop them. And in certain cases, for whatever reason, I don't want to be photographed. I think if I had to articulate why, it is because I'm no longer in control of my image. That person can capture and redistribute my image as much as they'd like, and I have no control over that. And that is their right, But I also wonder to what extent I have a right to my own image. And to be clear, in any public setting, I'm aware that eyes could be on me at various times. But the idea that something is digitally captured in a very concrete way, a photograph can be redistributed and copied as much as one wants without it deteriorating. But a memory, for example, in which someone only sees me and doesn't photograph me is subjective and also remains in that person's mind unless they would like to describe it. And something about being photographed without my permission feels very socially imprisoning, at the risk of sounding overly anxious about all of this. What I find interesting is that I think most people would say something almost opposite. Like, I notice that when someone pulls out a phone and is getting ready to take pictures, people will change their behavior or try to get in the picture so that they're a part of that photo. I've seen this in group settings. I've seen this where someone pulls out a phone and someone tries to look candid so that it becomes a better picture rather than someone just posing by themselves. I think in that way, it's sort of like they're trying to manipulate their image in the best way possible for them in that moment. But most people, I think, really like getting their picture taken. And I think on that note of how we try to manipulate our image, I think it's really interesting how social media platforms have an algorithm that goes with how content is presented to other people you're friends with or other people that are following you. And I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. Because in the article, Malik talks about an algorithm that Google will use where you can literally just upload all your pictures and they will sort it and edit it in creative ways so that it's aesthetically beautiful, where a photo you took in bad lighting, I would call, becomes good lighting. And Malik talks about Google's data ethics, about the idea of handling, basically, he calls it the corpus of my life. But as he also says, and I agree with, it's a very appealing idea that you can just put all your data in one place and suddenly it's all sorted for you and pristine. And I think that goes with the ethics of privacy on the internet in general. And for some people, that's a much bigger thing for them than me, I think, because in some ways it's like I'm uploading pictures, I'm sharing my life on the internet. It's already there. I'm uploading it. So it's already public, regardless of if someone necessarily has access to it or not by 
uploading it. I'm kind of granting access to anyone who really, really wants to get it. They can hack into my profile if they want. And in some sense, I'm okay with that because I'm uploading it in the first place and I'm taking that risk. But another algorithm that's really interesting are algorithms on social media that sort content for you from friends, followers, and it's much more behind the scenes than I think this Google algorithm would be in that somehow, and a lot of my friends and I have spoken about this, about how creepy it is that Facebook seems to know which friends I'm interacting with the most and also what websites I'm going to because of the ads that show up on my profile. Thus, they somehow have figured out friends that I may care about the most and their content will come up on my newsfeed a lot more than people I may interact with a lot less. But maybe I care about them more. Maybe I just don't interact with them on social media. That I think is a really interesting phenomenon how social media is made to feel like we have control over things and we're manipulating our image in a certain way or at least portraying our image in a certain way. And then Facebook especially I find, and Instagram is going towards this direction. They're going to change their feed from chronological to an algorithmic form based on what posts they think you'll care more about seeing. It's really interesting how it really is sort of all out of our hands at the end of the day. And before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to this discussion? I'm reminded of a moment that I shared with a friend Last spring, we were driving back from Oberlin, the sun was setting, and we were driving through Ohio's cornfields, and we had just come back from a joint dance concert where we participated in this really beautiful evening of dancing with kids from Oberlin, and we were driving back, and I'd taken some pictures, and I wanted to put them on Instagram. Or put one on Instagram, I should say, because I wouldn't put many pictures of one instance on Instagram. And we were driving back and having a conversation and I was kind of going through editing my picture and getting it ready to put on Instagram. My friend is commenting on how beautiful the scenery is. And I'm like, yeah, it's so beautiful. And I'm looking at my phone the whole time and I notice he says, oh, it's so beautiful. Ohio is so beautiful. And I'm looking at my phone and I say, yeah, it is. And I realize I'm looking at my phone. And I'm like, as I look at my phone and I look up and he kind of laughs, he's like, yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to say anything, but what a millennial. And I was like, yeah. And I, I think that for our audience, regardless of if you're a millennial or not, I think we all have been locked into our smartphones in a huge way. And the article touches on that, that people are moving away from desktop towards mobile devices and mobile platforms. And I think it's just really important to look up, look people in the eye and notice when you're not. And I would also encourage the audience to think about how we place our trust, because on some level, I think we've lost a bit of trust in our eyes and our ability to see and perceive beautiful moments or noteworthy moments with all of our senses because of the emphasis on photography and social media and what other people will find funny or aesthetically pleasing, etc., which is not to say that one or the other is true or more meaningful, but I do think it's worth considering why we might or might not trust a certain medium or, in the case of our bodies and our eyes, a certain sensation or phenomenon. But of course, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have any thoughts, feedback, or input of any kind, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where you can like our page and get updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with a friend you think might enjoy it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.